Good morning. I'm so glad that you're here, and uh, I think all of us are glad that you've uh, joined us this morning. Uh, whether you're a member or a visitor, we're appreciative of your presence, and I pray that God is pleased with our worship to Him, uh, that we truly have, as Wayne talked about, communed with Him this morning, that He is in our midst. Uh, if you have a Bible with you, would you take it out, please, and turn to the book of Acts? Uh, most of our lesson this morning is going to be taken from the book of Acts. We'll go to a couple other places in the New Testament, but if you open your Bible to the book of Acts, you'll be able to stay there basically for all of the lesson. Uh, if you don't have a Bible with you, that's okay. Um, there should be one provided for you there in the pew. Um, and this is the fifth book of the New Testament, the book of Acts, and we'll be in the fourth chapter in verse 36 here in just a second. Uh, many of us have had nicknames over the course of our lives. Raise your hand if you've ever had a nickname. Somebody's called you something different than your given name. Okay, that's, that's most of us, right? Uh, my, uh, my grandmother had a number of nicknames, uh, has had a number of nicknames through her life. And a lot of nicknames just really don't mean much. Uh, when shortly after she was born, her older brother uh, dubbed her Tookie. Uh, nobody knows what Tookie means. Um, I don't think her older brother knew what Tookie meant. And yet somehow it's incredibly appropriate that that's her name. It fits her for some reason. Uh, when I came along, I called her Mar. Also, we have no idea what that means or why, but again, it seems appropriate. Other nicknames are, are descriptive in some way. We see why someone was given that name, whether intentionally or ironically. We think of descriptive names like Tiny or Slim or Doc, maybe, and it's pretty easy to figure out why someone was given a name like that. For some people, their nickname has become so commonly used that they're actually better known by their nickname than they are by their given name. For example, uh, raise your hand if you've ever heard from a guy, he's from California, named Eldrick Woods. Eldrick? Two hands. Okay, who's ever heard of Tiger Woods? Uh, see, his given name's Eldrick, but his nickname's Tiger, and that's what we all know him by. Well, let's move this then to a, a spiritual context. Uh, in our New Testament, and specifically the book of Acts, we have a guy named Joseph. That's in Greek. Joseph is the name that we know better. Do you know some Josephs from the uh, New Testament? Well, I'm not talking about Joseph who was the earthly father of Jesus. I'm not talking about Joseph of Arimathea. This Joseph from the book of Acts, who's, who's familiar with that name? A few. What about this name, Barnabas? Barnabas. We, we're familiar with that name, most of us, right? And Barnabas is a nickname, a name that was given to this man, Joseph, because of who he was and the kind of man that he was. It just means son of encouragement because Barnabas was an encourager. Uh, there in Acts chapter 4 and verse 36, this is what it says. And Joseph, or Joseph, who was also named Barnabas by the apostles, which is translated son of encouragement, a Levite of the country of Cyprus. I mean, as nicknames go, that's a pretty good nickname, right? It's a lot better than Stinky or some of the things you might come up with, right? I mean, aren't you, wouldn't you be glad to have this kind of nickname, son of encouragement? I would want to be remembered that way. But what does that mean? What does that look like? Well, a fuller description of this man is found over in Acts chapter 11. If you want to turn over there, Acts chapter 11 and verse 24. Acts chapter 11 and verse 24. 
This is describing this same man, Barnabas or Joseph, for he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. It doesn't say that he was a great man, though as we read about him in our New Testaments, I would say that he was. It doesn't say that he was a rich man, though again we read in our New Testaments he was very wealthy. It doesn't say that he was filled with great wisdom or persuasive, eloquent speech, though apparently he was as we continue to read about him. No, he was described as a good man, a man filled with the Holy Spirit and of faith who had an influence on a great many people and helped them to be added to the Lord. What a description. May I too be a good man, a man full of the Holy Spirit and filled with faith, May I help a great many people be added to the Lord. May I be a Barnabas. And may you be also sons and daughters of encouragement. But again, what does that mean? What does that mean practically? How do we live our lives in such a way that we might receive a nickname like this? Whether even if people don't call us Barnabas, that would be an accurate description of us. Well, let's consider this man and his character. How did the son of encouragement, Barnabas, encourage others? Notice a few things with me from the book of Acts. The first thing that I would say is this. He put his money where his mouth was. He wasn't just someone who talked a big game of encouragement. He also acted in such a way that he did, in fact, encourage others. Think in your own life. Think of someone that you know who is a big encourager, someone who is always uplifting other people, building other people up. Isn't this true of them? One of the biggest encouragers in my life, uh, not just of me but of other people, is my dad, uh, my dad Larry McClenny. If, if you spend any time around him, you know this is the way he is. He, he always wants uh, others to do their best. He encourages others to do their best. He builds them up. He sees the good and other people, and this is not just some sort of empty lip service. Uh, We see that he actually acts in such a way that supports that. And there's lots of big things that I could talk about in regard to that, but let me give you a small thing that I think is illustrative of of his personality uh, and his character in this way. Uh, When you go play golf with someone, um, what's your attitude toward the other people that you're playing with? Uh, For me, I want others to do well, Unless our score happens to be really close, and depending on how important the round is, maybe I reach a point, and sometimes if it's really close, maybe especially if I'm losing by a little bit, where I'll say to someone, good shot, because it was a good shot, but I'm not particularly happy about that, right? My dad is just the opposite. Whether he's winning or losing, he's very competitive, but whether he's winning or losing, he wants everybody to do well. And he tells people, good shot, but not just good shot. He's like, hey, you can do it. I I, I think that's all going to work out. Everything's going to be great. And here's the way we know that it's not lip service. If somebody hits a shot in the woods, my dad beats them there. He wants to find their ball so that they can hit it out and everything will go well. That's a small thing, isn't it? But is that our attitude? It's not just that I tell someone, oh, good job, or I want you to do well. I do everything in my power to make it so. Quite literally, we see that Barnabas put his money where his mouth was. If you turn back to Acts chapter 4, when he's given this name, what is the context? What is it that he was doing? 
Notice in verse 34, the, the church is all there in Jerusalem. The church is just beginning. And so there are people who are staying there who, uh, who are really staying longer than they intended in Jerusalem, and they're running out of money. And so people are coming and bringing money to supply the needs of these saints, of these Christians, while they're away from home. Notice verse 34. Nor was there anyone among them who lacked. For all who were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of the things that were sold and laid them at the apostles' feet. And they distributed to each, to, to every Christian that was there, as anyone had need. And Joseph, who was also named Barnabas by the apostles, which is translated son of encouragement, a Levite from the country of Cyprus. So here he's one of these guys who has traveled to Jerusalem. He's away from home. Uh, he's from this island, but he's staying in Jerusalem. But instead of being one who is receiving help while he's on this trip, he wants to be one who gives help. Notice verse 37. Having land back home in Cyprus, he sold it. And he brought the money and he laid it at the apostles' feet. He wanted to encourage others. And it was seen by what he was willing to do. He sold his property in order to do this. He was someone who sought to encourage. His name means encouragement. It can also mean consolation, that he consoles someone who is who's going through a rough time. Again, it's the idea of building someone up. Now, don't get me wrong. Um, we need critics, we need cynics, and you wouldn't call yourself that. We need realists in our lives, don't we? People who see things the way they really are. But it seems like on earth, and maybe even in the church, we have all of the cynics that we need. What we also need are people who encourage other people, who build them up, who see the good, who see the cup as half full instead of half, half empty, and encourage others to see it a little more that way too. Now there were lots of folks who sold their land here in Acts chapter 4, but Barnabas is given as the example of this. And we don't know how much land he owned or how much he sold, but it was clear because he's given as the example that he must have been very generous in what he did. And contrasting it to Acts chapter 5 and Ananias and Sapphira, it seems as though he gave all of the money from the proceeds of this sale for the good of his brethren. He wanted to build his brethren up, and he was willing even to be um, made poorer himself in order to have that happen. Well, with somebody like that, you can't doubt their sincerity, can you? In the things that they say. Because the things that they say are confirmed by the things that they do. It wasn't empty words. It was genuine concern for himself and for others. For whose benefit did he sell these things? For his own or for what others would receive? For what he could get out of it? Or was it merely for their good and their well-being? Barnabas is an example to us to put the needs of others above ourselves. If we're willing to do that, then we will be an encouragement to all those for whom we do that. Maybe the uh, opposite is found um, in James chapter 2. In James chapter 2, when James is talking about real faith, is faith that works. It's not enough to just say that you have faith. You have to live that faith and do things to show that faith. The example that he gives in verses 15 and 16 is this. 
If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, Depart in peace, be warmed and filled. Well, we look at that and we might say, Well, that's encouraging talk, right? He's encouraging them to go out and have the things that they need. But if you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? Our actions have to match our words if we really want to be sons and daughters of encouragement. Encouragement must be more than just our words. It must be our actions. And so what does that look like? Um, What can I do for these people that I want to encourage? Uh, Well, let me give you two ideas that we can always, always, always do. You want to encourage someone? Well, go to him and give them words of encouragement. But the two other things you can always do for someone, number one, you can pray for them. And that is not a small or empty thing. That is a powerful and important thing. You want to encourage someone. You want to keep them on your mind and heart. You want to keep them before the throne of God where they might receive help. Then pray for that person. Pray for them. And I guarantee it will be an encouragement to them. But then the second thing that we can do we can always do is just ask what they might need. Ask. Ask with an attitude that I will do anything in my power to fulfill that need. And a lot of times somebody might say, well, I don't need anything. Maybe press them a little bit on that. Say, are you sure there's not anything that I can do for you? And then sometimes they'll say, well, if you're really asking, here's what you can do. But even if they say, no, we've got it all covered. Just the asking can be an encouragement to them, knowing that you're there for them for the things that they need. So, we want to be sons and daughters of encouragement. We have to put our money where our mouth is. The second thing that we want to do if we really want to be those who encourage, like Barnabas, who saw the best in people and had faith in their ability to change, we need to see the best in people. And we have to believe that people have that ability to change as well. Let me give you a couple of examples of this in the life of Barnabas. The first is found in Acts chapter 9. If you want to turn over there. Acts chapter 9. We remember that this man named Saul, Saul who was from Tarsus, Saul who was a persecutor of the church uh, at the hands of the Jewish officials, Uh, We remember that he was on the road to Damascus and Jesus appears to him and there's a bright light and he becomes a Christian. And yet, understandably, there are many Christians, especially in Jerusalem, who are unsure about his sincerity in this. So begin reading in verse 26 with me of Acts chapter 9. And When Saul had come to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him and did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. And he declared to them how he had seen the Lord on the road and he had spoken to him and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of the Lord. So he was with them at Jerusalem, coming in, going out, and ultimately he's going to speak boldly and the brethren are all going to accept him. What was it that, that Saul, Paul, needed on this occasion? He needed one person to believe in him. One person who said, you know what? I'm going to give you the chance. I'm going to give you the opportunity to prove that in fact you are who you say you are. And because of that belief, Paul was joined to the disciples. He preached in Jerusalem and many were saved, both there and other people. 
Now, how did Barnabas know the things that Saul had been through? Uh, we don't know uh, specifically, but I would say it probably began with some interest in Saul. Some interest in who Saul was as a person, an interest in his soul. He wanted to encourage him. Uh, because I think probably Saul would have been an encouragement to Barnabas with an attitude like this, knowing that this man, of all people, had come to Christianity. He recognized, Barnabas did, the genuineness of Saul's conversion, and he stuck his neck on the line and vouched for him because it was the right thing to do. He was unconcerned with sullying his own reputation. He wanted to defend Saul and give Saul the opportunity. It takes faith to be an encourager. Faith in God, obviously, but also faith in people. Faith that they can change, that they can do better, that they are redeemable by God's influence and Jesus' blood and the direction of the Holy Spirit. But that's not the only example. If we turn to Acts chapter 15, we see an interesting contrast. When Barnabas vouched for someone else, to Saul, who is now known as Paul. In Acts chapter 15, beginning in verse 36. Acts 15 and verse 36. Then after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us now go back and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. Now Barnabas was determined. Maybe your translation says he resolved to take with them John called Mark. But Paul insisted, these are strong words, determined, resolved, insisted, that they should not take with them the one who had departed from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. Now, you probably remember this in the book of Acts where John Mark had gone with them on the first journey, but for whatever reason he had gone home. And whatever the reason was, Paul didn't think it was a good enough reason to leave them high and dry on the trip. And so Barnabas, son of encouragement, says, hey, we need to take John Mark with us again. Let's give him another chance. And Paul, focused on the work as he always was, said, we don't need to take somebody who abandoned us the first time. We need reliable people with us on this trip. Verse 39, then the contention became so sharp that they parted from one another. So Barnabas took Mark and sailed to Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and departed, being commended by the brethren to the grace of God. And he's going to go through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches there. Isn't it just a little bit ironic, just a little bit ironic, that Barnabas vouched for Saul when the brethren in Jerusalem was reject, were rejecting him, and now he is vouching for John Mark when Saul... Paul himself is rejecting John Mark. Saul doesn't accept it on this occasion. And the text doesn't get into who was right in their actions one way or another. And this, in Acts chapter 15, is actually the last time we hear about Barnabas in the biblical text, ever. The rest of the book of Acts follows Paul on his journeys. And he takes other traveling companions like Silas and Timothy and Luke. It's the last we hear of Barnabas, but it is not the last we hear of John Mark. In fact, at the end of Paul's life, in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 11, he says this to Timothy. Get Mark, this same John Mark from Acts chapter 15, and bring him with you 
for He is useful to me for ministry. Useful to me. Uh, knowing Paul from his writings and his travels and, and guessing on his personality, I don't know if there is a higher compliment that Paul could give to someone than he's useful to me, useful in my work. You can help me, Paul says. And again, the text doesn't say who was right in Acts chapter 15. But Barnabas was right about John Mark in the end. John Mark was one ultimately who could be counted on. Barnabas believed in Mark. And Mark became the man that Barnabas believed he could be. So many people in the world, and so many people in our families, so many people in the church are just looking for someone to believe in them. Uh, we have teachers that are going back to school. How true is that of students? How many students are just looking for someone in their life to believe in them? All of us as human beings need that. We need that kind of encouragement. Someone who says that we can do it and helps us to achieve that. Who holds us to a high standard. Who holds us accountable, but also shows us grace when we mess up. You can be that person. You can be that person to someone else. A Barnabas to them if... You see the best in them, and you believe in their ability to change and do better. How did Barnabas encourage? The third thing that I would consider is this. He encouraged to the most important action. Uh, it's implied there in what we read in Acts chapter 15 about traveling to preach the gospel. But go back to Acts chapter 13 where we actually see this happening. In Antioch, there are certain men who are prophets and teachers. Uh, among those men is Barnabas son of encouragement, and Paul, who used to be called Saul. And so in verse 2, as these men ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then having fasted and prayed and laid hands on them, they sent them away. Uh, we all know people who have, you know, the kind of personality where they build other people up. But we can encourage people in all realms of life. Encourage them in their work, encourage them in their play, encourage them in their homes. But if we don't encourage them towards spiritual things, we cannot be this kind of son of encouragement. This was called Paul's first missionary journey, but it could really be called Barnabas and Paul's first missionary journey because they are willing to give their lives and encouraging other people to obey the gospel. And in this kind of context, we should think of ourselves. Am I the kind of person who encourages others to obey the gospel? Am I salt? Am I light in my actions, drawing them closer to Christ? But also in my words, in my deeds, in my example, am I the one who is building other people up to come closer to Jesus? This is who Barnabas was. And this is who we should be as well. How? How do we do that? How are we effective in these ways? There's lots of ways that we could talk about this from a biblical perspective, lots of passages that speak to it. But I want to stick right here with Barnabas and give you two ideas about what made him so effective in his encouragement of other people. First, Barnabas was able to encourage other people because he was trusted by everyone to act, to do something. And not just to act, 
but to act in the right and proper and godly way. He wasn't one to uh, take sides except for the side of truth. He was there to serve in whatever capacity was needed. Encouragement is effective only if there is trust. They encourage, we're, others are encouraged by us if they trust the things that we're saying and trust that we have their best interest at heart. And because of this trust, Barnabas became a rock in the church. He could be depended on to be there, to take action, and to do his best. I, I think a great example of this is in Acts chapter 11. Notice a few verses there in that chapter, Acts chapter 11. An unexpected thing to the early church has happened. At the very beginning, all Christians came from Judaism, either because they were born Jewish or they had already proselytized or converted to the Jewish faith and then became Christians from there. But in Acts chapter 10, we see that the Gentiles, as God always intended, are added to this mix. And now Gentiles can become Christians without becoming Jews first. And who do we find at the forefront of this discussion and this change, a big change, but the son of encouragement, Barnabas himself. Begin reading with me, if you would, Acts chapter 11 and verse 19. Now those who were scattered after the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, preaching the word to no one but the Jews only. But some of them were men from Cyprus and Cyrene who, when they had come to Antioch, spoke to the Hellenists, preaching the Lord Jesus. It doesn't say Barnabas' name here, but coming from Jerusalem, from Cyprus to Antioch, that fits everything that we know that Barnabas was doing at this time. Verse 21. Uh, so this is the first time the gospel is being preached to Gentiles. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned to the Lord. They repented, they were converted, they came to the Lord. Then the news of these things came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem. And they sent out Barnabas to go as far as Antioch. And when he came and had seen the grace of God, he was glad. and encouraged them all that with purpose of heart they should continue with the Lord. For he was a good man, full of, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. Then Barnabas departed for Tarsus to seek Saul. What was the issue with Gentiles being added to the church? There was a doctrinal issue with that. Well, do they have to become Jews in order to become Christians? But maybe the bigger and tougher issue was the social side of it. These were people who had hated each other before coming to Christ, and now they were supposed to worship one another in loving harmony and brotherly love. And Barnabas was a man who was working mostly behind the scenes to bring the church through this in faith and faithfulness. He was sent by the church in Jerusalem to talk to those in Antioch about what was going on. And if we keep reading in verse 27, And in those days prophets came from Jerusalem to Antioch. Then one of them named Agabus stood up and showed by the Spirit that there was going to be a great famine throughout all the world which happened in the days of Claudius Caesar. Then the disciples, each according to his ability, determined to send relief to the brethren dwelling in Judea. This they also did, and sent it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. I want you to see 
in terms of trust, what's going on right here. Barnabas was sent first up to Antioch by the church in Jerusalem. The church in Jerusalem was primarily Jewish Christians. The church in Antioch was primarily Gentile Christians. And when a need arises in Jerusalem for these Jewish Christians, these Gentile Christians want to send money to help the needy saints in Jerusalem. And who do they send? They send Barnabas. You know who Barnabas was trusted by? Everyone. There was no this side of the aisle and that side of the aisle with Barnabas. He was on the side of Christ, on the side of truth. And he was a man who tried to do what was right in all of these areas. Someone taught them this attitude of giving among these Gentiles, even if they had their, their issues and suspicions with Jewish Christians from time to time. They, they perhaps were taught this in part by Barnabas, who was trustworthy in money, sure, but also in people and faith and knowledge. Well, let's go on now to Acts chapter 15. Here is the doctrinal side of that, the doctrinal dispute. And certain men came down from Judea and taught the brethren, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Therefore, when Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and dispute with them, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain others should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders about this question. So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through Phoenicia and Samaria, describing the conversion of the Gentiles, and they caused great joy on all the brethren. Um, apparently, Barnabas' role as a servant and an encourager was recognized by everyone, Jew and Gentile alike. Everyone trusted him because he saw the best in everyone, and he was trying to get the most out of everyone and everything. There's lots of applications that we could make at this time. This idea of seeing the best and trying to get the most out of everyone and everything. Can I make application of this concept of being a son of encouragement to when we come together to worship? What would our worship look like if all of us were sons and daughters of encouragement? Do you think that Barnabas ever went to services and said, you know what, I just didn't get much out of services today. You know, it just, it just didn't speak to me the way it normally does. I think about Barnabas, he probably sat through some bad sermons. I don't know that for a fact. What I do know for a fact is that he sat through some really long sermons because he traveled with Paul, and Paul had a reputation in regard to long sermons. You think he ever went and said, you know what, that was just, that was just too long. I just, I just didn't enjoy that today. Do you think he ever left uh, the assembly of the saints and said, why didn't anybody speak to me today? You know, I was just standing over there. Nobody came to me. Nobody came to me and spoke to me. Do you think that was the case with the son of encouragement? Or, or do you think when he came to worship, it was all about God and others? How can I be encouraged by the Lord in our worship so that I can then encourage other people? Don't you imagine Barnabas was the one, I think of Frank Shipley whenever I think about this. Don't you think Barnabas was the one like Brother Frank who was always making a beeline to anyone who was visiting so that he could meet them and encourage them in a totally genuine way because he cared about souls. 
well, Brother Frank isn't able to be with us much at all anymore. I hope that changes in the near future. But we need men and women like him who are sons of encouragement as well. Who are here not just to be served, but to serve. Who are here not just to be encouraged, but to encourage. So it should be for all of us. And if that's our attitude, what's the outcome? Ephesians 4 and verse 16, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying, the building up, the encouraging of itself in love. The question is, how am I building others up because they trust me to do what is right? And then finally, secondly, how is he so effective he was effective because it was about others, it wasn't about him. And we see that because he rejected personal glory for his actions. Uh, we think about politicians. Politicians are, are generally really good at talking to people and encouraging people and making you feel like you're the only person in the world and building you up and thinking, wow, that's awesome you have that interaction. And yet, sometimes it's hard to trust politicians, isn't it? Because there's an agenda there inherently. There's a, an agenda for self-promotion. And maybe sometimes in the back of our mind, we think to ourselves, well, is it genuine? Is that why they're so nice, so encouraging? Uh, we're afraid that we're being manipulated by someone who is encouraging in that way. Um, I talked about my dad earlier. Uh, uh, there have been times in his life where people have, have thought maybe he wasn't genuine because he's so positive, because he's so encouraging. We, we can't fight that. All we can do is be encouraging and not make it about ourselves. It's powerful when we're someone who encourages others, but we're not seeking the spotlight or the credit ourselves in that encouraging. I, I think a great example of this from the life of Barnabas is in Acts chapter 14. You know, this would have gone to many of our heads what happens here. Uh, we see that they come to Lystra, and there's a man without uh, strength in his feet. He's crippled from his womb. He'd never walked. Uh, and Paul speaks to him, and he says, stand on your feet. Stand up straight on your feet. And so he does. He doesn't just stand. He leaps, and he walks. And these pagan people, these Gentiles in Lystra, they've never seen power like this. So in verse 11, now when the people saw what Paul had done, they raised their voices, saying to the uh, Lysodian language, in the Lysodian language, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. And Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul they called Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. Then the priest of Zeus, whose temple was in front of their city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates, intending to sacrifice with the multitude. When the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard this, they tore their clothes and ran in among the multitude, saying, crying out and saying, Men, why are you doing these things? We also are men with the same nature as you and preach to you that you should turn from these useless things to the living God who made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and all the things that are in them, who in bygone generations allowed all nations to walk in their own ways. Nevertheless, he did not leave himself without witness in that he did good, gave us rain from heaven and fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with food and gladness. With these sayings, they could scarcely restrain the multitudes from sacrificing to them. 
What do they say? Hey, don't give us the credit. It's not about us. There is a God that you need to give the credit to. God who made heaven and earth. God who made the seasons. God who gives the increase to your crops. It is that God to whom you should give the credit. And maybe we say, okay, well, I mean, it's easy not to take the credit when it's something that God did, right? When it's this power. And I think that would be true. And yet sometimes maybe we are too quick to take the credit for things that we do that really is God working in us. But it's not just this idea of God getting the credit. What about the possibility for jealousy between Paul and Barnabas? You know, up to this point in the book of Acts, uh, we're in, what, chapter 14? Up to this point in the book of Acts, if you had to say who was the more prominent figure in the church between Paul and Barnabas, it was Barnabas. And Barnabas by a long shot. And Paul only was what he was because Barnabas stuck his neck out, stuck his neck out, and, and helped Saul to become this man that we then know as Paul. And yet, from this point forward in the text, we're going to see that maybe Paul is the one who is better known, is given more credit. What would our attitude be in that situation? Would there be jealousy? even in what we see with this, uh, these people in Lystra. It's interesting to me who they are called. Um, I shared this in a back class a number of years ago. Remember the Disney movie Hercules? Uh, in that movie, I'm not endorsing the movie one way or another, but you know, animated is maybe better to go with on this. This is Zeus, right? Zeus is the man. He's the god among the Greek gods. This is Hermes, as uh, the Disney movie puts it. So who was whom as they describe them here. This is Paul. This is Barnabas. And maybe part of the reason for that, the text implies, and from what we know about Paul and other places, not just that uh, Hermes was the speaker of the gods and Paul was the chief speaker, maybe their presence was such that, you know, Barnabas seems to be the leader here. He seems to be the man. And opponents uh, of Paul, like in Corinth, for example, said that his bodily presence was weak and his speech was contemptible. Barnabas' bodily presence was strong and his speech was powerful. But it wasn't about him. And Barnabas was ready to play second fiddle to Paul. It turns out that he was Scottie Pippen, not Michael Jordan. He's Robin, not Batman. And he was okay with that. And maybe it's kind of like a John the Baptist, Jesus situation. You know, he must increase and I must decrease. But he's not having to do this to the Son of God. He's having to do this with Saul, the persecutor. And maybe that didn't seem right. But it was right to Barnabas. And he was willing to give way to Paul for Paul to serve in the powerful ways that he did. Because Barnabas didn't care about such things. He just wanted to encourage others to achieve their best, including Paul, to encourage others to be all that God had called them to be. And throughout his life, who do you believe was Paul's biggest encourager? I would put Barnabas at the top of the list, the son of encouragement. Well, maybe we look at this list and the other three points that we've put. This idea that he was trusted by everyone, that that he wasn't about his own glory or his own status and his personal actions. Maybe we get the idea that, well, to be a son of encouragement, you just have to be perfect. But what we know about Barnabas was that he wasn't perfect. 
There were times that he was led away by sin, that he didn't do the right thing. We spent all this time in the book of Acts. I want you to turn now to Galatians chapter 2, if you would. Galatians chapter 2 and verse 11. Keep in mind, Barnabas, son of encouragement, Barnabas who defended Saul, Barnabas who defended the Gentiles, Barnabas who went and preached to the Gentiles all over, Barnabas who came back to Jerusalem and defended the Gentiles and their right to be saved, Barnabas who came back to Jerusalem and said the Jews do not, or the Gentiles do not have to convert to Judaism in order to be Christians, that same Barnabas had this happen. In verse 11 of Galatians 2, Now when Peter had come to Antioch, Paul says, I withstood him to his face because he was to be blamed. For before certain men came from James, he would eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing those who were of the circumcision. And the rest of the Jews also played the hypocrite with him so that even Barnabas was carried away with their hypocrisy. Even Barnabas, who had done all of these things, is carried away with hypocrisy and turns his back on his Gentile brethren. Now, he made it right. Paul withstood Peter to the face, and Barnabas, we know, uh, repented of those things as well. But even in that, there is a lesson, isn't there? He was imperfect. But that didn't stop him from standing up for what he believed to be right. It didn't stop him from encouraging others. He didn't say, oh, well, now I've done it. I can't encourage anybody anymore because of this sin that I committed in my life. You know when this happened? This happened shortly before that sharp disagreement in Acts chapter 15. And here we find Barnabas sinning and yet still being willing to stand up for John Mark because it was the right thing to do in his mind. And too many feel that they can't work or encourage others because of their own sin in their own life. And that's the devil's lie. We need genuine repentance. And sometimes what people need most of all is to be encouraged to repent because they see others who are willing to repent. We need people who are willing to say, I was wrong about that and I'm sorry, but I'm going to still try and do what's right in the future. And it shouldn't stop us from doing what's right or encouraging others. In fact, uh, in the Psalms that we're studying, have you noticed that that's the very thing that the psalmist vowed to do? I have this sin in my life, God forgive me of it, and I'm just going to go hide in a hole because of what I have done? No, they say, now I'm going to get to work for you. Because of my sin and because of the forgiveness of that sin, I am motivated to be more who you have called me to be, not less. I'm going to get to work because I'm forgiven. Because these mistakes do not define me if, if I continue to work for the Lord. How is Barnabas remembered? Well, he's called a hypocrite here in Galatians chapter 2. So from that day on, he was known not as Barnabas, the son of encouragement. He was known as the son of hypocrisy, right? Of course not. Son of stubbornness. Well, he had some stubbornness in him, but that's not how he was known. He was known as the son of encouragement because he was a man full of faith, full of the Holy Spirit, who influenced a great many to and for the Lord. And so too for us. May we be sons and daughters of encouragement to our brethren, to our families, and to the world 
drawing them closer to Christ because of our willingness to encourage them to Him. And if you're here this morning and you're not yet a Christian, may I be a son of encouragement to you to come to Christ, to put Him on in baptism, because there is no better decision that you can make than that. And if you're already a Christian and you've got sin in your life that needs to be made right. Maybe it's something where you need to go to someone individually and confess that sin. How encouraging is it when someone comes and is willing to say, I'm sorry? And maybe it's something of a public nature you need to make right. Know that you can be an encouragement to us in making that confession and repentance. But we also want to be an encouragement to you in whatever way we can. All you have to do is come now while together we stand and while we sing. Bye. Uh...